The following resource is presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to A Counselor's Point of View. Hi, my name is Steve Finney, and I will be your host. We are in a series right now under the category The 16 Lies of the Antichrist. Last week, we talked about the first third of the 16 lies. Today, we're going to be talking about the second third of these 16 lies. And uh, so if you are joining us for the first time and you're seeing part two on the uh, 16 Lies of the Antichrist, please go back to that podcast library and uh, you can uh, see the message that was covered last week as part one. And I would certainly listen to that before you listen to the rest of part two. But we do want to welcome our online listeners to our podcast today. This is very exciting, even though when you talk about lies, it doesn't appear to be that exciting. But I can tell you that talking about the lies that you do believe in, that I believe in, or get caught in, is where the transformation occurs. Now, I want you to think about something. How much of human behavior, particularly you kids, I want you to think about this because you are literally in the age period of your life where lies are formed. How much of your life is set up to avoid being caught in a lie? You have to understand that uh, those who study human behavior, you know, just forget Christ-centered counseling. But those who simply study human behavior understand one basic principle. That the majority of that person's day is just a lie. Okay? So that's what's behind therapy. Is you're having the person face things that are really not true about them. Or maybe things that are true about them that they're not believing. All those psychologically based issues are based on dealing with a lie. Who is the father of the world? Satan. Satan. Who did Jesus refer to? Well, what was the title that Jesus gave this Satan when he was talking to the Pharisees? Yeah, you had it. Father of lies. How much of the world that you're going to see when you step outside this building today, how much of the world out there is going to be of the father of lies? For sure, 90. You might be the only representative of light and life and truth when you do walk out of this building into the community. I don't know. Do you understand that the majority of discussions, the majority of problem solving, the majority of psychology, the majority of theology, the majority of all the ologies is of the father of lies? This is where money is made. If you go to the newspaper this afternoon and go to the entertainment department and just look through the movies that are popular or that are in the theaters today, and I just want you to do a a little miniature survey to say, of the father of lies, of the God of truth. Of the father of lies, of the God of truth. But yes, there are occasional movies that come out where you could say, Jesus Christ himself would actually put a sticker of approval on this movie. It does happen, but usually not. All I want you to see is the majority of what you're having to deal with, with the father of lies all day long. And your children are literally being raised up to be of the father of lies. That's his goal. He doesn't care about you adults. Jesus himself told us that. He doesn't care about you. You're the lost generation. 
He cares about the children. He cares about their education. He cares about what kind of churches they go to. He cares about, you know, he cares not in sense of wanting to nurture them. He cares in the respects of if they catch on to true church, true family, true community, true, you see what I mean? He loses. But if you can get them to be referred off into someone training them outside the home or get them referred out into having friends that are, you know, very emergent or whatever, then he gets them. Whoever trains your children, stay with me on this, folks, because some of you in the foreign countries get exactly what I'm saying and you probably already are thinking it before it's come out of my mouth. Whereas in America, we are an educational-based society, theologically, psychologically, and physiologically. So we fight what I'm about to say, much more than most countries. Whoever raises your children gets your children. Don't ever forget that. Thomas Jefferson said that. He is the father of, of public schools. Whoever raises your children gets the privilege, as he would say, of leading those children. So that's a critical piece for me with a family integrated church. That's a critical piece for me on how the family is going to handle the issue of finances. But someone please look up Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. And as that person begins to read, if you'd please stand up as that person reads this passage. So we are in Luke, for you online listeners, Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. And someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge? arbiter over you. And he said to them, Beware, and be on your guard against every form of grief, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a certain rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? And he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all of my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Okay, what are the two big principles? What do you hear here being said? There's, he's, calling, he's calling some people a fool. And if you're going to invest in something, it's, it's invest in what? Christ. Well, this also tells me there is a movement about to happen. I mean, I, I read this as very prophetic. And so there is a statement here of some people asking questions about finances and, and, and Christ himself, this is red letters here. Christ himself is saying, that isn't what I'm asking of you. Cause you're gonna die tonight. You want, you want me to mess with your mind a bit here? Some of the people that are listening to this message are gonna be dead in the morning. They're gonna be dead. Odds are, just the, the, the pace that people die, tomorrow morning, someone who heard this message is going to be dead tomorrow in the bosom of Jesus Christ. No matter what it is they're working on. And that's how God wants us to live life. It's to seriously calculate what is my investment for. Lies that believers embrace. Here's our opening paragraph for our message today. The world, the flesh, and Satan are always applying their pressures to conform the image of the beast, which is Satan's economic system, to get us to conform to his image. When isn't there a scripture somewhere that talks about 
being conformed to the image of Christ? You see, it's from the image of the us that we were taken from. Salvation, having the indwelling life in Christ, puts us back into the image of, of Christ and God the Father and God the Son and Holy Spirit. It reconnects us to the tree of life that we got separated from. Whatever system you guys have been trained in and understanding the indwelling life of Christ, all you have to do is look at it from the bad boy's view. Satan uses the exact system to get people to join his economic system. And you also have to wake up to realize that the majority of the world, because when you open that door in a few minutes and you walk out outside this building, you're going to be faced with a world that is owned and operated by the CEO of the Antichrist economic system. His name is Satan. He owns it. We're not of it. We are foreigners as soon as we walk out that door. We are to be light into a very dark world. Jesus, in this passage we just read, is trying to help these people. He's, he's literally saying, you fool, don't you get it? Your soul's going to be required of you tonight. You're going to be dead in the morning. And for my mind as a pastor and preacher to think that there's some people that actually listen to the podcast today and are going to be dead tomorrow breeds a passion in me to reach their hearts in whatever message it is that God has put upon my heart to get out there. And every pastor and preacher in the world today should beg and plead for the Holy Spirit to well up passion in them to stop being lethargic and accepting the emergent, lukewarm function of a pastor. I'm telling you listeners, particularly those who lead fellowships, whether it's two people in your living room or 2,000 people in a building, I'm telling you, 2016, there's going to be a new face to the book of life. That is going to be presented to the church. That is going to integrate the church into a social network. That is going to reface the entire church worldwide within several months. If you just enter your password. What am I talking about? I'm afraid you're going to have to contact me personally for that. Because I probably could get sued over knowing this knowledge. So, 602-292-2982, hit pause and uh, back it up and listen to the number again, but send me a text. Ask me what this thing is that is going to be adjusting the church in 2016, and I'll tell you. But I am here to tell you it is big and it's significant and it's going to put a major emphasis upon the church focusing on external issues that Jesus Christ just addressed in the scripture that we read. To the point that I believe Jesus is getting very close, if he hasn't already, of saying, you fools. Do you not know that your soul is being required of you this very night? You see, I want to go from this walk to the walk in the presence of my husband and Savior Jesus Christ with an, at least a reputation of, you know, he not only believed truth, he not only practiced preaching the truth, but he desired to live the truth. You see, I can't judge my Christianity based on the sin in my life. I can't. Everyone has it. You could say eating a donut is worse than some guy or gal's drug addiction or vice versa. But that's not how it works with God. Sin is sin to God. Every sin will reduce you to an acknowledgement of what Paul said in Romans 7. 
He said that I am not the one. If I sin, it is not I who sins. Someone want to finish the verse? Thank you, online listeners, those that are finishing it, because I can hear it in my head almost. When Paul said this to the people, to the Romans, to this this intellectual group, have you ever used the term romantic? Yeah, most Americans have. The actual true definition of romantic was used to describe homosexuality. But the Romans... Here Paul is speaking to a whole cultural movement that is very similar to today. Relationship, relationship, love, 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 feelings, 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 lust, lust, lust. And he's saying to these people, For if I sin, it is not I who sins, but sin that dwells within me. He literally detached himself from the identity of sin. That's knowing your identity. Someone uses it as an excuse. Well, that's between them and God on how God's going to deal with them. The Antichrist is gifted at denying and disregarding the truths. Whenever you see the word truth, you should immediately be able to write Jesus Christ's official name in there. For Jesus said, I am. Finish the verse for me. The way, the truth, and the life. So it is, the Antichrist is gifted at denying and disregarding Jesus Christ and the holy scriptures that were written about his testimony, which are foundational in God's world of economy. As long as the enemy gets us caught up In his sensory world, we are not apt to be investing by faith in the unseen world in which God lives. In fact, it actually takes a born-again experience for a person to understand this opening paragraph. So if you're just listening to the podcast, I want you to go back to the library. You'll, you'll see a little PDF symbol right next to the microphone. And that is where you can double click on and actually get the notes we are preaching from right now. Which is what I would encourage you to do. Addiction to material things. Let's talk about this list very quickly. If you... Guys, would ha- if you had the guts to go to your wives or your sisters and say, hey, if this, you have to put the condition here that this woman is actually committed to family life. Ask them what they think about lies. So, who lies more, men or women? Statistically, there is. But men by far lie more than women. In that whole position in the garden and God coming in the garden in the cool of the day. And where's Adam, folks? Hiding behind a bush. Has never stopped. So unless you truly appropriate your identity in Christ, this guy is going to be hiding 24-7 as an indwelt believer. Women tend to reveal lies. Men tend to make them. It doesn't mean that women won't lie or live a lie. In fact, if they're in and of the world, they are in and of a lie. But the fact is, proactively functioning, making up lies, putting the lies out there, men statistically by far are more guilty of that. Lies are meant for the postmodern Christians with the priorities of work, money, friendships, recreation, and I don't know if you ever notice this about this word recreation. What are, what, what are the two words here? Recreating. Recreation originally was, was a word used of recreating something. It was a creational term. It put creation back into man's arena. So when you look at recreational world and see the list of movies and music... 
of any anything that is a part of this recreational thinking and functioning world that we are in today, you'll see it very quickly. So family life, community, church, and then extended family maybe if they even take time for the extended family. So the enemy works to put these lies in these categories. I see the responsibility still upon the man of the house, although that is not the new trend. There has been a major shift in the legal world with women. You and I are about to be faced with something the world has been doing for a very long time. There are prime ministers that are women in other countries. There are president female presidents in other countries like Germany and, and blah, 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 blah. Okay? There, there's a common acceptance in the world that America, again, is behind. And our first female president and our first, you know, whatever. America has always been, been into being first. But for some reason, we're not. We're always following Europe around like they're, you know, the uh, owner and we're the dog. And we're about to see a shift here in America because the next president is going to be a woman. Why do I say that so confidently when there's some great male candidates? I understand culture. I understand that America's into being first. They're not into integrity. They're not into biblical leadership. They're into that first thing, the first black person, the first white person, the first, you know, female. We're in the first place because we hate being left behind. Space race with Russia. Remember that old deal? The list goes on and on and on and on. Well, we're about to see some changes in our postmodern church today. So in the postmodernism, women love being away from the home. This is foundational in order to make this change. Considering staying at home to care for the children and or her husband creates an overwhelming sense of suffocation and restraint. You need to ask yourself, I'm stuck at home, what am I supposed to be doing? Which usually sets you up for more decisions. Having my children back at home. You see where it goes? And they go, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. I'm not pulling my children out to get rid of this loneliness feeling, which gets rid of this question I'm asking you, which really I'm putting Jane as the model, so I want to know what she does when I know she doesn't have little ones at home. My conclusion was, I said, Jane will never go back to the work world, even after I'm dead. Do you accept this? That's the critical point. You see, because shift one, you shift the entire structure of the church. The church is responsible for my wife if I die. That's social welfare, folks, from God's book. Well, now I've got a bunch of people going, what planet is this guy from? Because most countries in the world today do not function like this as a church. We'd rather give our money to digging wells in a foreign country than take care of a poverty-stricken person in our church. Makes us feel better. This is going to be hard to believe for some people. Reminding those of you who are listening just to the audio, you're going to have to go get the PDF to print off these or at least to bring these slides up so you can view them because of the statistics I'm about to show you. There's a movement in the world of men to keep the little family happy. So, the real and actual needs of a family are not material bl uh, blessings or sports or rec recreation or family fun times, but rather spiritual leadership. The number one reason why Indoel Christians say they don't homeschool their children is 
Outer ring. Bad social life. They need to be engaged in sports. They need to have contact with kids their own age. They need to recreate with these kids. They need to have fun times with these kids. They need to have sports involvement or be a part of leadership outside the home. No amount of money can buy back the time or leadership sacrificed by you shifting your focus on that ring that is literally on the next layer out from your relationship with Christ. I am not impressed when I see a family man, he plays with his kids, laughs with his kids, goes and does things with his kid, and the kid goes to hell. I'm not impressed. So they go to hell in shape. So they go to hell with a proper perspective of entertainment. So they go to hell with a good, healthy family environment. The question is answered by Jesus when he says, You fool, do you not realize that your soul is expected of you tonight? If you don't know what you're going to do with your tomorrow, you are confused with today. You need to know and understand what's going to happen tomorrow if you're not here today. You need to answer that question today. And that's what Jesus was pressuring these people to answer and to face. So why do men compulsively want to please the woman? Any answers? I mean, all she's got to do is get crabby. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've heard on a commercial, in a movie, or whatever, is whatever makes her happy, happy wife, happy life. You say, that's a 50s thing? You are wrong. Because the reason why that that the ladies are taking the lead, literally, statistically, 10 to 1, the reason why women are 90% dominant in the church force today, the workforce today, is because of this question. Why do men compulsively, compellingly, irresistibly default to keeping the little woman happy? But it was bo- it was boring. No, it was right. It was a hundred percent right. My answer is more simple. The men want their toys. You see, if you keep the little woman happy, you're going to get your toys. You're going to get the truck and the boat and the camper and the, the jet skis and the, the guy gets his toys. He gets to sit in front of television, uh, sip on his root beer and watch the games on a, you know, that's what it boils down to. I can guarantee you. But you know, there's some other statistic that's out there. It's a little bit scary. When women walk into the living room and see their husbands acting like brainless men who are supposed to be leading their family and they're brainlessly sipping on their beers or root beers and tossing in the popcorn and throwing popcorn in the air every time there's a touchdown, dumb jock, she becomes more and more embittered. And she starts saying stuff like I've heard in counseling for 40 years, and that is someone's got to take the lead here, because he certainly isn't. He doesn't pray at the, he doesn't read the, he doesn't, and there's a shift that occurs. And then she gets tired even after making the shift. And what you get is this. The top six surveyed reasons from legal people, from attorneys, of why women file for divorce. Number one is education and careers. Number two is empowerment and independence and finances. Number three is social stigma. Well, 90% of my friends are doing it. 
And then women in leadership rejecting traditional standards of male headship. Number five, gender roles. Gay and lesbian culture is actually being accepted in the home. We know of several couples where the wife divorced her husband because she came out of the closet. So you think this gay and lesbian movement that's happening in the world, that's actually consuming the world, is not affecting marriages, then existing marriages, then you're a little bit naive. And six is men and their kids, that women are literally wanting to say, here, you take the kids, you take the responsibility, you raise them. And off they go to number one, education and career. Then you have certain couples that come up with a business arrangement. There's a lady running, is going to run for president. Her and her husband had this arrangement back before they had their child. They had this arrangement so they wouldn't have to file for divorce. They would live as divorced people. They learned to live together separately, spiritually, psychologically, and physically in order to maintain a standard that it was still traditional in the world but is not traditional to our belief system. Once the culture has made the change, then you can come out of the closet. You're seeing it around you every day. People coming out of the closet. Well, I, I'm just the type of person that thinks about, well, what in the world is the world going to look like when they all come out of the closet? Go back in the closet. Shut the door. Well, you'll be arrested for a hate crime for saying what I just said. What will the world look like when it is completely made its shift? You pastors, if you think you're getting upset right now because that the church is dominated by female pastors, it's growing faster than any movement they've seen in the church to this hour. You have to ask yourself the question, where are the men going? Do you understand that churches are going to actually pick female pastors over male pastors because of the statistics I just told you about toys? Do you know that men make horrible money managers? Men are horrible at, at maintaining morality. It is proven statistically that women make better governors. It's going to be proven statistically that women make better presidents. Mark my words today on this. The day of male presidents is over. And that's why you see this sweeping movement of female governors all over America is because it's being proven that they're better leaders. Satan knew that. And that's why he went after her. It is the way to get a major shift in a culture, in a world is to go through the gal. And there's plenty buying into it. So for a guy to wake up and face a strong woman, I say, give me a strong woman. I like the Cindy types. I like them strong and in your face and being willing to, you know, to say what they believe and that's a lie or this is that because it's manageable. But see, passivity you can't manage. You can't make a pathway through a bowl of jello. And that's what's happening to men today. You can't disciple them. You can't make a pathway. They're like jello. They unfold around every time you preach, they unfold around every time you try to disciple. And what do they do if you start telling the man what to do? They go, We have found another fellowship down the street. I'll bet you have. Is it a bet emergent? But I can't say those things because my spirit knows exactly why they left that discipleship. 
You see that whole boot camp of iron on iron, sharpening iron, and that whole thing is gone. You know why we can't have a strong military force as a nation? I want you military guys to listen to me, because I get a lot of my comments from you. The reason why we don't have a strong military presence in the world today is because our men are women. They're going to doctors and getting sex changes. They dress like women at home and in uniform during the day. What is happening to our nation and our presence as a military is because our men have no clue how to be men anymore. You better seek out some good, solid male leadership and get re-educated. The church is slipping away into the hands of an emergent antichrist because men are lazy and passive. What would you guys say is greed? Here's Hebrew. I'm not even sure how that's pronounced. We need a real Hebrew person here to uh, pronounce that. But it means inside the hook is known by the control of the hook from without. Now, it's whatever it is that, that it's like fishers of men. Jesus uses these principles, and I think it's because of the Hebrew, actually. But whatever hooks the man, whoever is tied the string to that hook, whoever is tied the string to the pole, you get to ask the question, who's reeling in the, the, the string? Which reels in the hook? which reels in what is hooked to the man externally. That's greed. Satan's a pretty decent fisherman from what I can understand. He doesn't put a worm on every hook. Sometimes he puts bait on a hook that is different for every person. He just wants you to lock into it. And once you lock into it, there's actually a goal in fishing. I don't know if you know that or not. There's a goal in pulling it in, right? To get it. Take it off the hook and throw it in your boat so you can eat it. Satan has this goal for us. Seeking whom he may devour, eat. And the way he eats is these very clever fishermen. What he puts on that hook is rather significant. So here's lie number six. Sacrifice family for profit. God would rather have the parents spend their time, effort, money in restoring hearts and relationships within the family than within someone's family in a foreign country. Malachi 4.6, of course, is one of my favorite verses. Is There shall come a time when he will restore the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to their fathers. Least I come and smite your lamb with a curse. So he, he's talking about the outermost ring, the nation you live in, and then this whole relationship with good old dad. You mess up that, Satan knows it's going to mess up the ring on the outside. God will curse the nation. God will curse the nation. The fact that the number one thing we have problematic in our country today is children could care less about their fathers. God will curse the nation. So to have a goal of restoring a, a child's heart to the father and a father to the child is rather significant. God only supplies when there is a heavenly defined need, not in times of want of self-imposed needs, which usually create debt. For every righteous need, there's a righteous supply for that need. For every self-imposed need, there is a self-imposed consequence. Colossians 3.25, does anyone want to quote that for us? He who does wrong will receive the the consequences of what he does wrong and that without partiality. That's Colossians. One of the identity books in the Bible. 
Yes, there are consequences to the decisions that we make, particularly when it comes to money. Here's lie number seven. One has to borrow in order to make money. Have you ever heard of that before? We have a friend that borrowed during the Y2K, and he borrowed thousands of dollars on several credit cards to buy up gold that the whole system was supposed to implode on Y2K. And then he'd have all this gold that he, he and his family would live upon, and he justified it as a Christian. Guess who's still paying on the credit cards today? It doesn't work. And there's people who do that with the stock market. They're moving and shifting stock every single day. Do you know when you put your money in the bank that, that when you walk out of the bank, they initially take that money and they release it into the stock market to make a bunch of money so that by the time morning arrives, your money comes back to the bank. They are borrowing on your money to make money. It's the way the world functions everywhere. Yes, this is a fancy way of saying you have to gamble in order to have financial gain. Yes, it is gambling, and records show that 90-plus percent of the corporate world does it. Financial success is not measured by our assets, but by the freedom from greed, worry, and bondage. Borrowing, of course, is gambling with God's sovereignty. In reality, we are stealing from tomorrow in order to have pleasures for today. You see something, you want it, you can even make the plan in your head, oh, I can have that paid off in 30 days, so it won't be called debt. Well, if you don't have the strong stamina to do that, it will throw you into debt. But there are some Christians that live so strict by this, they won't even do the 30-day thing. Because when you see an advertisement, like there was a furniture store advertisement last night that I saw pop on, and it said, no interest until 2020. I bought two couches. <laughs> Do you see what that does? People know this, that they know, well, it's not really debt until 2020. I can get this paid off before 2020, for Pete's sake. It's, it's 2015. Oh, I can do this. You throw another one at him. Hook. Got him. There's the car. Another one at him. There's the house. Another at him. Hook. Oh, there's the furniture. Another one. Oh, hook. Yeah. And that's what he does. And then pretty soon, 2020 rolls around, and it's 28% interest. And you can't even keep up with the interest payments. Have you ever met anyone who's done that? I've been there three times. You can't even keep up with paying the interest rate. And then you get trapped by that. Can you imagine if I was personally in debt for $18 trillion? That's our country. Okay, stay with me, folks. It's news today. America can no longer pay the interest rates. It's rolling back on us. They were afraid when that starts happening. See, we've been able to pay our interest rates with these loans. We can't anymore. Why is our president going after the wealthy people and changing the standard of taxation on them? Is because if he doesn't, we can't pay our interest payments anymore, and someone's going to call in the loan. And if you think giving over our national parks to China was a big mistake, which has already been done, you've seen nothing yet. So, yeah, it's a big problem. But if we lie about it and don't talk about it and don't tell Americans about these arrangements our presidents make, then it's all okay, we're all happy. Welcome to America. Lie number eight is being my own boss is my own goal. This lie runs counter to the very nature of Jesus Christ's teaching of both serving and being successful in life as a servant leader. 
America is still the leader in the world today of being your own boss. We have more corporations, nonprofit as well as profit, than any country in the entire world. In fact, most say that in collective countries in the entire world, America still beats them in registered corporations. See, anytime I get a brilliant idea, I form a corporation. That's how they can track this. America is the leader in being their own boss. Matthew 23, 11 through 12 says, But the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Line number nine is I have the right to spend my money how I want. After all, I'm the one that earned it. You'd have to really sit and think about whether you've ever functioned that way. But see, if someone steals your wallet and it bothers you, see, if someone stole my wallet, it'd bother me because they would get my identity, whether there was 150 bucks in it or 50 cents in it. That would be my concern. Seriously, the money can blow away and whatever. And I understand what Jesus says. that it's got, it's got wings. It flies away whether it's stolen or it flies away whether you have to buy food. But that is not how the world functions, and that's why we kill each other over a dollar bill. We mug each other in an alley for ten bucks. So the addiction becomes more taking greed than it is in what you get. Are you with me? The greed is in taking, not in the result. Lie number ten. Financial success equals overcoming obstacles. Proverbs one twenty three says, Turn to my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my works known to you. It's all what God will make known to us. Proverbs 13.8 says, The ransom of a man's life is his wealth, but the poor hears no rebuke. What does that mean? I understand if you have a lot of wealth and someone kidnaps your kids, you're going to pay the price, aren't you? But if you're poverty stricken and someone steals your kid, what are you going to do? Live in grief. There's very few rebukes for poor people because there's no money associated with how they're mishandling the money. That's the rebuke. So many times obstacles are given to us by him to reprove us. He designs the obstacles so we will turn from our own nasty ways and willingly follow his divine and holy pathway of truth and freedom. Here's our identity matter statement for today, which is that of Malachi 3, 8 through 10. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have I robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open up or open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. What are the principles you see in this scripture? Well, what's the difference between tithes and offering? So let's pretend every church, let's just pick America. I know there's other nations listening, but let's just pick America and that every congregational member in every church in America brought in 10% of everything that hit their 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 door this past week in profits your paycheck food whatever it is 10% was brought to the church what kind of church would we have you would not need insurance programs you would not need stock market you would not need social welfare program that costs us trillions of dollars 11 trillion dollars in social welfare 
You would not need any of that. Just from the people in the church. The offering is what we send to Lester. Do you understand that? Or what we're going to send our pastor in Atlanta. That's the offering. But taking care of the church so that God can send people to that storehouse so they can have some food. (laughs) Most churches don't even go there. They use it in building bigger buildings. Taking care of their own needs. We're a little bit backwards on this. So in order to get this pour out on you blessings, to have your cup overflowing, probably is not going to happen. So a lot of these churches that are mega wealthy and they they say that being mega wealthy and getting all these people's donations does equal God's blessings on us. The same thing's going to happen to the church that happened to America with that kind of thinking. Where God sits back and goes, Really? You debt-ridden people? You fools? Do you not know? This is Jesus saying this, not Finney. The church is very foolish in what we are spending our money on. Join us next week as we finish off the last lives of the Antichrist. It's going to be some pretty exciting stuff, I think. Please be willing to come back and listen to the podcast next week for the final message of the three-part series of Lies from the Antichrist. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at iomamerica.org. That's iomamerica.org.